0: welcome to the thought leader podcast i'm dr kent and i'm randy baker and on this podcast
1: we're going to talk to a whole lot of very interesting guests who are going to challenge the way you think they're going to inform you of things that you may not have thought about and they're going to ignite your imagination as we discuss all sorts of topics
0: so today we're talking to rabia deland long really an unexpected conversation i you know we uncovered some things here that i i just was not expecting and just a, we had a wonderful conversation well and we had kind of a fun spot in the middle randy where where you had to take three rounds uh, running around your house right right yeah i had to actually
1: leave the conversation in the middle so i'm looking forward to hearing what Rabia said in that period and let's see what happens listen in guys it's going to be
0: fun Nice to talk with you, Rabia. Rabia or Rabia? Rabia. Rabia. We had a chance to kind of dig around online about you and go on your LinkedIn and see your crazy resume, the amazing list of things you've done. It's like a scroll. It just keeps rolling and rolling. What do you find yourself doing these days?
2: Thank you. It's very complimentary of you, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm very busy doing three things. One is executive coaching, one-on-one with senior leaders who are running large, complex organizations. Second, working with the top teams of the same kinds of organizations to align on business strategy and the associated people and organizational strategies. And then third, going through large-scale change projects, whether it's a restructuring, uh, it's a merger and acquisition, a lot of that's happening now in media. Um, But one-on-one teams and then large-scale change for organizations.
1: That's a lot of big bites you have to take. So (laughs) Let let me talk about the one-on-one stuff first. Mm -hmm. Working with senior executives, what's the biggest problem you find that they have?
2: I think right now the biggest problem that senior leaders have is navigating this, I hate to say unprecedented way, but having to move to 100% remote management with very little notice. And having to figure out supply chain and talent management and how do you return to office safely, I think that's a very big challenge. And we do that in the context of a very significant social justice environment where diversity, equity, inclusion are so important. And those are the groups that have been most disproportionately hurt, by the way, which we've been having to work these last 15 months.
0: And that has to do with your, the firm, we kind of poked around Mm-hmm. A bunch of your place, but one of your firms really focuses in on especially diversity and inclusion and so forth. Yes. So, what, what have you been building?
2: Um, so, after George Floyd's murder last year, just for one year anniversary, one of my former clients and now friends, Deborah Lee, and I were talking about what we could do to help the situation. And she remarked that she'd been on boards for over 20 years and she continues to be the first or only. Woman or person of color or both, and we thought, wait, we know some people. Let's see what we can do here. So, what if we could try to change the complexion of business by infiltrating the boardrooms with people of different backgrounds, uh, whether they're global or people of color or they're women? And second, work with C suites to diversify. So, when they are doing succession planning and thinking about their future growth, that they're considering a wide pool of people, both within their organization and outside the organization. So, we've been working with organizations. And In very much the same framework I do for my core business, the coaching, whether it's helping women or people of color thrive in complex ecosystems where it's a lot of influencing, a lot of executive presence, a lot of um, negotiation, um, whether it's teams, ha- helping them to say, wait, we will make better decisions if we were more diverse. I just came off of Zoom. It was literally five men and me, and I'm, I was a consultant. And I thought, Hmm, hey, have you thought about maybe bringing some more people into this conversation because you'll get better views and better outcomes, better decisions? Um, And then thinking about programs to feed pipelines. So in science, for example, we lose a lot of women early and a lot of people of color don't choose to stay in the the sciences and the math areas. What can companies do to give back to their communities and build a pipeline of future talent so that we're not saying, oh, we can't find a black engineer?
1: Having come out of the um, 16 years in the space industry, not being able to find black engineers was a real problem. Hmm. So, I mean, certainly we found some. If you go to most public company boardrooms today, they're filled with people that look very much like me. They're old. They've got white hair. They are. Their thinking is stuck in the the seventies and eighties. And then you'll find the occasional one that has a more diverse board member, being the token person of colour or Mm-hmm. or the total mm-hmm. female. I'd love your thoughts as to why that happened in the first place and how we overcome those that, that situation now.
2: So why it happened, how it happened, I think historically, people were considered for board positions who were already sitting or retired CEOs. So that pool is fairly narrow and homogenous. So if, if you can only pick your board members from sitting or retired CEOs, you know what those people look like. And you're right. They look like the handsome you that I can see on my screen. <laughs> um, then had to, we got to first and only's because somewhere someone said it would be a good idea to have uh, an injection of diversity. So let's go find ourselves one. And that's how it happened. What we believe is that uh, we should be looking at boards and C suites with a time horizon to really be planful about the composition of the group to say, you know what? Maybe we should have board limits and retirement ages. And as we seek to replace People who are rolling off the board, let's not do it in onesies, but let's do it in twos and threes. Because when you join a board and you're the only one, you're the one that they turn to every time there's a Martin Luther King holiday conversation. Uh, You're the one they turn to. It's like a Jewish holiday thing. Like, what? Like there are other people in the room? So um, I think it's important to inject more mass because then Mm -hmm. it's more people asking questions. Because if you think about it, everything's about change management. How do we change the way we think? How do we change the way we decide? And if you just got one or two dotted in there, it's not enough to change the system, which has been built for stability and perpetuity.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, I love. I was I was flashing on that word in a way, injection, and how it felt so negative. But when you start talking about twos and threes, then I started thinking about you know an antiviral agent, or you know, it's like yes. if you if you can yes. supply uh, something into the body so that it can make itself healthier. So Obama yes. said something right as he was leaving office about maybe it was the year after about if women ruled the world or I might be totally off with the timeline.
2: I think he said something like that, yes.
0: But it's if women w- ruled the world, we wouldn't have any of these challenges and these issues. And and I mean I'm looking at corona, I'm looking at all these different world wars and and ethnic cleansing and all this stuff and and I, yeah, I I mean I kind of believe that. So it's but it's almost like you know, if we can get those twos and threes into boards that represent more people, gosh, maybe maybe it'll uh, things will just work better.
2: Now, you're not going to believe this, Kent, but my paternal grandmother was illiterate. Wow. And yet she had five kids, all of whom have advanced degrees and huh. prominence in their respective fields, including three girls that she educated at home against all the odds. So we went from that to me, and my siblings, all of whom have advanced degrees, what's spouses supposed to have the same. And so the power of education really is amazing. Um, but in some cultures, women don't get that advantage. And then they never catch up. Or when we think about school, what are we doing in schools that's helping us lose the pipeline of future mathematicians and scientists mm. and data people? What are we doing wrong? And so my daughter, who was in high school a couple of years ago, did a study where she took complex calculus methods and said, let me just not teach it by talking about it, but let's teach calculus methods through movement. And so she managed to choreograph a new way of thinking about math by using movement, which when she delivered it to lesser served communities, really got traction because it's finally, someone was presenting information in a way that was relatable, it had resonance, it was kinesthetic, it's opposed to sit down, be lectured to memorize, wrote and repeat. So I think there's things that we can do creatively from a young age with children all the way through schools. Um, and that probably also includes mentoring and advisors and sponsors along the way. So someone's looking out for you.
0: Well, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I, I um, My mother is actually one of the kind of a founding uh, poetry therapists in the country. So a very yeah. similar kind of a bicameral approach to in that case therapy. But yes. I mean, my, my father, I I'd go to my parents immediately, but my father has been a pediatrician his entire career. He's just Exiting uh, mm. that career, but when he deals with kids, you don't talk straight to a kid who has Asperger's or you know very critical autism and 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 mm. all the different. He's a developmental pediatrician. He says, "Here's a pad of paper. Draw something." All right, and as a pediatrician, you'd think, "Well, why? That's that's crazy. That's an art therapist role." No, it, it's not. If the pediatrician listens, yeah, then that, yeah. That's really neat. And I
2: think that's, I think that's really a, such a smart way of looking at it. And you're touching on neurodiversity, which is another type of diversity that we seem to need. And I think particularly as the world moves in, more into AI and machine learning and so on, right. a lot of jobs will be able to be automated. But there are various like, things for which neurodiverse people are well suited. And I can see people becoming really deeply expert in their area and not have to worry about, oh, I can't become a director or vice president because I don't manage people. We should look at it and say, do you manage people? Do you manage process, projects, data? Like You're managing something. And so let's reward you for your intrinsic intellectual ability and how it contributes to our business versus you've got more budget and more people reporting to you. Those are the wrong metrics today. Hmm.
0: So where did you first get your your spider skill of being very inquisitive and brilliant and interested in dissecting and fixing and all of that. Does that come from your grandmother or where, where did you inherit that?
2: Uh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, so I grew up in Virginia with I mean Robbie or ramen with long hair and, you know, darker skin than most. And everyone else had like double barrel, you know, Mary Sue and Bobby Joe blonde and blue eyes. And so I always felt a bit like an outsider uh, my mom's Jewish by way of Russia. My dad's from Pakistan. He's Muslim. She's Jewish. We had a Christian nanny. And so I watched all this stuff happening and I was just so fascinated by individual behavior and why people do what they do. And then even more fascinating, what do they do with other people? And so that took me into the area of leadership and, you know, what are leaders and what makes a leader? What doesn't make a leader? And what's the role of charisma and strategy and people skills and emotional intelligence? And so I just, I did psychology in college and kept doing it. And then for my master's, I, almost went back to UVA for my master's, but went and said to Yale because they had a program that focused on organizational behavior. So I did that with marketing, and it was a perfect combination. So I can be credible with a business so person, is, but talk about and translate. Well, the thank concepts.
1: you. I had to just step out from there. Randy, I'm, welcome back. Um, I've got landscape gardeners doing redoing my garden.
2: I'm glad you have priorities, Randy. I'm
1: glad you have <laughs> yes. and, well, then on Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it.
2: So, so on that note, um, I was just on a call where we're creating the employee value proposition for a biotech. And I talked about the traditional strict split between work and life and how we've been talking about work life balance for many years. But balance is sort of this, you know, nirvana we can't reach. But we thought, what if we think about work life harmony, work life flow, where it's about moving in and out as you need to. So the fact that you went to see your gardener, that's okay. And maybe you see your kid play soccer, but having permission to do that oh. during the day
1: mm-hmm. and not. So I, I, don't, I don't believe there is such a thing as work life balance. Um, that's
2: right. I think there
1: is only oh. choice. So you choose what you wish to do, and that's mm-hmm. where the harmony comes from. So
2: yes. Yes.
1: Because then yep. they can totally try. agree.
2: Yes. Now that's very privileged. We're very privileged to be able to be in that position, to have that choice. So many people don't have the privileged for many reasons but yes we're very lucky to be in this sort of intellectual mind what do you call this place think tank intellectual think yeah. tank
0: so i uh, i have okay. to go here so yeah no no <laughs> certainly not i could i could go for another couple hours okay um great. but uh, so i spent some time in jerusalem in the middle east um mm. i speak some arabic um i, I alaikum. saw yeah oh. alaykum Good
2: accent. Good
0: accent. uh, Yeah, I I speak. So I learned uh, Jerusalem Arabic, which is similar to Lebanese and Jordanian and whatever. I can I can say just a handful of phrases. But what I find just fascinating is how it was almost just a throwaway. How that you have one parent who's from Pakistan and one parent who's Jewish in Virginia. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a identity wise. It's a the most so i am not sure in the United States whether it's as aggressive as elsewhere in the world, but that you know jewish muslim christian uh conflict happening the the virginia Christian state with a right. Muslim and a jewish it was parent. red
2: back and it was red back it was red back then strong red state back then yeah so
0: yeah but it 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 created in you that real um strength like almost like that triangle of strength mm
2: hmm um, because my father over-indexed the girls because he saw what happened in his home country, we got, you know, the best of everything, mm. you know, promoted, groomed, nurtured, got a lot of that good stuff. I think that you don't really know that it's odd until you leave it. And I remember leaving Virginia and coming to New York and saying to a friend, I'm going to New York where everyone is beige. And I don't know where I got that expression, and that was back in 1986 that I said that. And it's true, when I come to New York, I feel alive. You know, there's different complexions, the different languages, the smells on the street, just there's some vitality to it. I think Virginia's definitely, definitely gotten better, but I will tell you the truth. Back then, my mother being Canadian, they thought she lived in an igloo and they could not find Pakistan on a map, <laughs> I swear. And so the world's come a long way as information's become, you know, much more like everyone's got their phones and they know where things are, but it was crazy. I have to explain. So I would just say the Middle East. I would just say that. It was easier to say that than, than be descriptive. Um, but I think it's been a helpful thing to have had that experience because you learn about yourself and you learn to appreciate what's different in other people. And the fact that we are actually, as humans, we have more in common than we don't. But when we get stuck into fear and hate and anger, all those things that are so destructive, that's when we end up with wars. That's when we end up in trouble and having to walk back statements and, and you know, sort of, Take different stances. So, if you're right, Kent said, "If women run the world, we'd be a better place." Randy, you missed that. I vote for that.
0: Now, the beige concept is interesting because that's the having lived in New York, the most astounding thing for me was when I taught students there at a you know elementary writing level, the 102 students coming in, it was minority white, which was extraordinary, and just calm and and just the way it was i don't know i I think you didn't mean it that way but i wouldn't call it beige i found it to be sort of very tapestry style like it felt i felt comfortable in the Mm. and that's what you were saying in the different smells the different colors the different lives yeah
2: yeah and i and i i use beige because i had to always answer the question they'd say where are you from and after all i just said richmond because that was the easier (laughs) question but i knew what they were asking but I did, I felt I felt beige, and we didn't really have a I lot see. of black people around. Um, so it was really Asians and, and me, and I kind of called that beige. But we wouldn't say that now, it's not PC, and it is definitely a tapestry, and I think I used that in my college application. I used the poem Ulysses, and about being part of all that we have oh. seen and done, and the arches through which we go, that that informs who we are, so we're richer and more interesting people because of that, not in spite of it.
0: So are you afraid of the world that, Your daughter, you have multiple daughters?
2: I have a son who's 23 in graduate school doing interior architecture and a daughter in college doing human and organizational development. Surprise. Um, At Vanderbilt in Nashville. So am I worried about the world they're going to inherit? It's interesting. Um, These kids know a world that doesn't have that straight definition of gender, race, sexual preference. Like growing up, your mom would say, you know, go talk to the black woman. No one would say that right now. They would just say the woman in the blue dress. Like, it's not how they think. And so I think a lot of these lines, these artificial lines will be erased. And I think that the ingenuity that they bring, you know, the ability to ask questions and say, well, why do we do it like that? You know, we've had amazing technological changes. Just think about it. How long have we had an iPhone? 12 years. But it feels like forever, right? But 13 years ago, you didn't have an iPhone. You could have a beeper and that was it. So I think that we'll see change in these very sort of dissonant ways when we least expect it as we try to apply technologies, perhaps from space or other industries, to how people are working together. But we'll always have people. And so I think if we can get to a place where there is civility and mutual respect, we'll be in a much better place. I mean, the last four years were very divisive.
0: So I've got one last question for you and then Randy can close this up. My last question for you is, what kind of thought leadership did your grandmother pass down through you that you think you've been able to push into the world?
2: The power of education, the the fact that this illiterate woman could get three girls educated with advanced degrees and two boys having their own business and one being the number three guy in the country, from this woman, it was unbelievable. Um, And so the power of education to really disrupt things and change people's lives forever uh, we collect books for the um, African Library Project. a 1,000 books, you give them a $1,000, and they sell them off for you. And the joy of knowing that there's a, we've built seven libraries where people will have access to books they wouldn't otherwise get, that's remarkable because reading is how you discover new worlds. Reading is how you learn who you are and who others can be and what's possible. So I like to think that education and reading, those are my two big passions, um, really made a difference.
1: So I just have one question, it's, it's not going to be an easy one to answer.
2: I expected no less, Randy. I
1: am at the twilight of my career, and I came up through an education system that is very different to what exists today, and I came up within an education system in Australia which is very different to what is in America. Having said that, I came up through a system where I was not only encouraged but taught to and rewarded for... Understanding why I thought what I thought and forming my own opinions. And even if they were different to what everybody else thought, I was still encouraged to support them and find logical reasons. Uh-huh. The education system I'm seeing today is doing the opposite it is telling students what to think and why they should think that way. At least that's my observation. How do you think education should move to? resolve some of the tensions that you talked about because I, I, I kind of believe that education system has supported some of the stresses of the last four or even 12 years. If we go back 12 years, that's when a lot of stuff started. And it seems to have created, in my opinion, it seems to have created a, a divisiveness because people are now told what to thought and it depends what school they need to go to as to how they end up thinking. Now let me throw that up there and just go to your thoughts.
2: So thinking how to think to me is metacognition. So you're taught to think how to think, Mm -hmm. which is a really wonderful tool because that means you can be plunked into any industry and ask the right questions to learn because you know how you learn. Um, I think that we have significant inequities in education, partly the public-private piece of it, but also politics and and funding from governments. I learned recently Mm -hmm. that school teachers in different states in the Southeast pay different amounts of pay. And some have retirement plans and some didn't. And that caused a wide migration of talented teachers from certain states into other states because they were drawn to the higher pay. Um, so I would actually love to see teachers get paid better. I think they do yeoman's work. It is odd that we entrust our kids to people who get paid, you know, on the hourly basis, not much more than a, a nanny would. And most of them do have master's degrees. Um, so I would look at that. And then I would think about the curriculum. I was dismayed to know that I never learned about the Tulsa massacre until about a month ago. I am horrified to tell you now I went to public school so maybe that was part of it but it wasn't taught it wasn't taught and, and I don't know if it was intentional or not but that's a pretty big moment in American history to leave out and so when we think about the school books that we read, you know who writes the history, who who's putting that core curriculum together and are we preparing kids for the right things going forward. So Randy your idea of learning how to think as opposed to what to think is huge. because Without that, we won't get to those inventive moments where someone says, oh, if we put this semiconductor conductor chip over here, we can really power the car mm-hmm. over here. So I love the idea of thinking how to think. I think I was expecting to say something different, which is um, in certain schools, particularly in England, children, boys mostly, are taught to Behave in a certain way, and they're almost like trained for the military. Like, I'm thinking of like Winchester College, my husband went to Winchester. You know, they were trained in a certain way. They've just started letting girls in now for the first time in a thousand mm-hmm. years. So There's going to be girls. And what does that mean for the curriculum? And how do you work? So, we know girls do well learning math when it's a discussion based group thing with a peer or a couple people. We know that boys don't need that. And so, when you start to do co ed education, how do you not sub optimize for either gender mm-hmm. or to, but to make it accessible? So, I think. Earlier, we talked about neurodiversity. I think different learning styles. To be able to provide content in different modalities, so that you're not losing your students along the way, I think is very helpful.
1: Wow, that was really good. Thank you for that, uh, Ravi. This has been great conversation. I'm sorry I missed the middle part of it, but uh, I'm looking I'm (laughs) looking forward to going back and listening to the recording because I think it was there's a lot of stuff in there that I need to think about. So thank you for your time. We really thank enjoy you. talking with very interesting people and we try to keep these short. This one's a little bit longer. Oh,
2: well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much and I will look forward to seeing what happens next.
0: And where, where can folks find you if somebody wants to look up your, your thoughts and your materials and your, the, the new things you're doing?
2: Oh, thank you so much. So I'm on LinkedIn, Robbie at Delan Long, and then our website is monarchscollective.com, which is our diversity focused business. Um, so LinkedIn, Robbie at child advisors.com, and that's on my LinkedIn, or the Monarchs Collective. And I would love to hear from people. So thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you to Rabia Delan Long. This has been such a wonderful conversation today. It was surprising, it was intriguing,
1: it was interesting. And this is just an example of the types of guests that we have on the Thought Leader
0: Podcast. And we would love you to subscribe so you get to hear the next issue. So click the button to the left or the right or the center. It might be green, it might be yellow, it might be red. Whatever it is, click the button, subscribe, like us, say nice things. Or you can visit our, our website. Our website is
1: thoughtpartnergroup.com. And at the top, you'll see a little button that says, take the assessment. In one minute, you can take the assessment and get a response from us. We'll read everyone.
0: All right. Take care. Have a good life. And we'll see you on the next one.